G'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I have a huge announcement to make. Now as you all know, I've been working on my brand new book called Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And I am super pumped to announce that it is now live on my website. It is live on Amazon. So please jump over to readgoosens.com forward slash books and grab a copy today. All proceeds from the sale of this book goes to charity. So remember to jump over to read goosens.com forward slash books and get your hands on one today now back into the show we basically went back to the drawing board and more important to us is super solid fundamental economics large round essays jacksonville florida indianapolis columbus uh we're trying to steer as close to if not more than that million million person msa that's still got some rent growth and supply and demand is extremely favorable um so we've we've switched focuses from some of these three, four, five hundred thousand populations to larger MSAs with significantly more positive, let's call them economic drivers. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's guide to U.S. real estate. A podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the hot seat, Mr. John Cohen, co-founder and managing partner of Toro Real Estate Partners. I first had the pleasure of having John on my show way back in episode 18, which is like three and a half years ago, and I highly recommend and encourage everyone to go back and listen to that show as well. But for those of you who don't know, John, um, is, John's focus within Toro Real Estate Partners is really the director of the company. He's a form, he formulates uh, all the investment strategies, investor development, and the acquisition and depositions. Yeah, he has uh, been investing since 2010, and John's understanding of deep value-add investing in real estate space really started back when he, he got started involved buying uh, tax uh, deeds and tax liens. 
Since starting real estate investing, uh, he's been involved in over $250 million worth of various real estate transactions spanning from tax liens to real, real rental and sales transactions in Manhattan and his own personal investments. Today is the second part of a two-part series where we will be discussing the changing investing climate and really how investors need to alter their view on what a good return is. But I'm really pumped and excited to have him back on the show. But enough out of me. Let's get him out of here. G'day, John. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing good, brother. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me back. Mate, my pleasure. I was just, you know, three, I, I, before we jumped on, I had to go back and Google. I knew you were early on in the piece, but uh, episode 18, we're at like, an, we're at like <laughs> 175 episodes deep right now. That's a long, long time ago. That's you do roughly 50 episodes a year. That's, yeah, that's a good three and a half years ago. So um, I, I appreciate, it's been a long time. So uh, maybe give us the cliff notes of what's happened in the last three and a half years. Yeah, no. When you when you said that, you actually uh, you shocked me because I feel you know I feel like I realize you know we've known each other for a while now, and it's 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 time's gone very quickly. Um, you know the high level stuff. I would say you know since you know since we first started, uh, you know we've we've bought and sold probably about thirty five hundred units, um, total. Uh, we've sold nine deals. We've purchased eighteen total, so we still own and operate nine deals. So you know we've done we've done a lot. You know we've done some vacant. Deals deals, some ground up deals. Uh, you know, we started as traditional, you know, value add, like a lot of us, you know, in 2014 or, you know, whatever, whenever we jumped into the multifamily side. But, uh, you know, we, we've, we cut our teeth a little bit there and then uh, we just wanted to do some more exciting projects. So we've actually uh, gone, you know, we, we really excelled in the really, really, really hairy, heavy lifting deals. And uh, it's been fun. Uh, they're harder to find nowadays, but uh, you know, we, we've, we've had a really good time doing it. Like I said, we bought about 3,500 units. Uh, we sold nine deals. I think when we first started talking, I was, you know, we had, you know, I owned four or five properties, um, not even a thousand units. So it's been, uh, it's been fun. Incredible uh, since three and a half years, but in recent years, you've had uh, a little baby girl. Is that correct? Yeah. Three, uh, three months old uh, the, the other day. Um, so it's, it's really new. Uh, it's been fantastic. I would say her and my wife are probably the two most, you know, the, the greatest things in my life. And there's no doubt about it. Uh, and it's been fun. It's been a fun three months. Awesome, man. What's been the hardest part of being a new dad? So I will say I'm spoiled. Um, <laughs> my wife is fantastic. She, she's home with the baby every day. She's got the baby on a schedule like, like, a, like a drill sergeant. I mean, the, the, <laughs> she, she's sleeping through the night. Uh, you know, I've heard horror stories. And the hardest part for me probably is this is, you know, this is a selfish answer. I don't, I don't get to spend as much time with the baby as I like. She, right. uh, that's probably, that's probably the hardest thing. Um, as a new father, you know, you always, you know, I drive to work, I get up and I go, you know, I get up every morning and I, you know, I play with the baby, feed the baby in the morning. And then I got to, you know, I come to the office. Uh, that's probably the hardest part as far as like taking care of her. And, you know, sometimes, you know, she cries and you wonder like, you know, what did I do wrong? Cause it's out of nowhere. But, uh, I think that's just, just, you know, inevitable. Um, but the hard part is probably just not being able to, you know, be with her all the time. Well, mate, I know that uh, part of why we all invest in real estate is to find financial freedom and uh, and and really get get our time back. So uh, it sounds like you'll be readjusting your priorities in the next coming months slash years. <laughs> For sure, I've already spoke about it. I mean, I was actually earlier today doing a spreadsheet of I have text match back and forth my wife like, hey, what's what's the cable bill every month? What's the you know what's the gas bill every month? Like just reevaluating and really see where we have to be. And and I'm, I think I'm getting closer because um, I, I tell her all the time, you know, I, if I could 
hit those numbers and, and be comfortable, then, you know, we're, we're doing the right thing. And then we're getting closer. Uh, and it's fun. But you are 100% right. Definitely reevaluating why we do it, what we're doing, and what we have to do to get there. And, and I think also it's, it starts by being intentional, right? Like, it, you may not be where your numbers need to be right now, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can't already carve some time off, you know, and 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 leave work, leave the office a little early because you know, as, as exactly at this, at this age, I'm sure they're they're it's priceless, and uh, you can't ever get those years back. But um, no, but you're 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 spot on, and I've been doing it right. You know, cutting out a little early on a Friday, probably gonna you know I'm, I'm gonna be in Indianapolis tomorrow in Columbus, so I'll probably cut out of here a little early today. Um, you know, get some t- get some time you know, as much as I can today, but, uh, and I know what we're going to talk about as far as setting expectations on investors. And I think this cuts into that. It, 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 it you don't need to make 30% on every deal to do really well and be really happy. And I think it you know, it just, you know, that's a natural segue, but, but that, that goes exactly into the, for myself, right. We've, we've bought deals, we've sold deals. I put some money in my pocket. I've reinvested into deals and the heavy lifting ones are fun, but they don't make money for a couple of years. So, you know, there's something to be said about a nice, stable, steady Eddie deal, which is something that, you know, we argue about all the time, but um, for sure, you're hundred percent right. You just, you just got to time block a little bit differently um, and you move some things around and you, and you make, you make adjustments. Yep, exactly. Well, mate, as you said, let's segue into what today's show is all about. And it is the second part of a two-part series. I had um, Paul Moore on the show uh, a couple of weeks back talking about uh, really just adjusting investors' expectations where we're we are long on the tooth in the cycle, um, and I, I guess I'll start there. Where where do you think we are in the cycle, and and how are you still trying to meet investors' expectations, um, or, or are you even seeing deals at pencil that used to you know meet expect investors' expectations maybe three or four years ago? Yeah, so I would say from our standpoint, I, I think we are long in the tooth. I think we're in the you know we're in you know, we're in the tail innings of the game. You know, how many more innings are left? Who knows? I mean, for all we know. You know, we're in one of those, you know, 15 inning extra inning games where we're going to go a little bit longer than we thought. But at the same time, I think there's two things that we look at. One, you know, everyone's scared of a recession and everyone's scared of interest rates going up. They can't happen together for the most part, right? We've, we've, we've bucked the trend of a lot of things that have been very similar. But I believe that if, if everyone say there's a recession coming, well, interest rates probably have to be, can they go lower? Who knows? So we're looking at deals a little bit differently. You know, we... Early on, I thought we were long in the tooth. We went with a little bit more long-term financing. Then we went back to the bridge option. And then we went back to the long-term. Now, I'm okay with both scenarios. I think what we're doing to adjust for that is lower leverage. So we can go with a lower leverage bridge loan on a heavier lifting deal. I think we have some safety. And then vice versa, on a long-term deal, you go with a little bit more leverage a little bit less leverage, I think you can protect yourself from happen in the future. Um, but with that being said, obviously the returns have to adjust accordingly. And I think there's some things that we're doing that we're getting really comfortable with that our investors are now seeing where we said, Hey guys, we've, we've cycled out of a lot of heavy lifting deals. I mean, we're selling our deal in Mississippi right now that it was a three year deal. It's a year and a half. And we're very confident on the exit. Their money's hard. Uh, their money's not refundable as of a week ago. So that was a deal where we probably had no business getting the offer that we got. But with that being said, you know, we explained to those investors, that was a 1960s heavy lifting, 60% occupied deal. There's something to say about a solid 
1990 build deal or said, listen, guys, it's not going to be a 30. It's just not going to happen. You're not, but, you know, this could be one that we plug and play. We hang it on the shelves and it's one of those staples in the portfolio for you, your family, or whatever reason you're investing is where this deal is not going anywhere. So maybe it doesn't return 8, 10, 12% a year. Maybe it's only 5 to 7, but really good tax benefits. You have no headaches. It's a check every month. You don't have to worry about evictions, delinquencies, shootings, crime. You know, we had a guy drive a golf cart, stole the golf cart from the property and smashed it into the wall yesterday at one of the other sites. And I'm like, you don't have to deal with that stuff. And I think that there's something to say about, you know, peace of mind. And I think that comes even more so now that and I had a daughter three months ago, but peace of mind is not a bad thing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think one of the discussion topics we got into with, uh, with Paul in, in part one of the series was in and around that um, surety, I guess is the right word, the safety play where, you, you know, I, I've known you for many, many years, but the, I know that you've been very heavy uh, on the hand, you know, the val- heavy value add um, also, you know, in, in maybe some more uh, remote areas, not necessarily remote, maybe not urban infill locations, which is a little bit uh, more risk. So how is that, how have you changed your mindset around that uh, in terms of moving forward into, you know, an unknown future and the p- potential R word coming around the corner? Excellent, excellent question. We just went through this, you know, at the end of last year, you know, we put a real pen to paper. Uh, you know, I'll give, I'll give Joe, Joe Fairless a little nod here. You know, I, I got his book and I read and I was like, you know, let's go back to the basics. Let's pretend like I'm a new investor and I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so we went back to the basics. I, you know, I spoke to a bunch of people in the industry. I said, Hey, you know, how are you looking at markets? What are you doing here? You know, this and the next thing. We own a ton of deals in some tertiary markets that we were exited and we've exited all of them except for one left that we're still in the middle of a renovation. Um, we basically went back to the drawing board and more important to us is super solid fundamental economics, larger MSAs, Jacksonville, Florida, Indianapolis, Columbus. Uh, we're trying to steer as close to, if not more than that million, million person MSA that's still got some rent growth and supply and demand is extremely favorable. Um, so we, we've, we've switched focuses from some of these three, four, 500,000 populations to larger MSAs with significantly more positive, let's call them economic drivers. So that was the major decision from us to say, Hey, we're not looking at at a top hundred market. We're going to look at a top 50 or maybe even a top 25 in some cases. And and we know going into those markets, there's significantly more competition from bigger and better groups, but we're going to take what we've done in these other markets and maybe we're going to target I don't want to say smaller properties because I think bigger, smaller, larger, I think that's subjective, but you know, we're not going to go after the 20 and $30 million deals. We're going to try and excel in the stuff that's a little inefficient to operate in these bigger markets. And I think that was a, you know, a company decision with, you know, with eyes on the future that, you know, who knows where we're located in this cycle, but if we are at the tail end, I want to have really good real estate and really good locations. And I think a bigger market is definitely, definitely helps that where you could, you could hang in there. The population growth has been there. It's, it's more established, not a mobile Alabama or Jackson, Mississippi or something like that. Yeah, no, I think I completely agree. And um, one thing I was discussing with a couple of my business partners is, you know, in the last, let's call it since the recession, there's been a lot of people getting into the multifamily value add space. A lot of investors have expected to double their money in three to five years. 
Um, and now we're in a space where, you know, definitely when I'm, I'm underwriting deals all the time, you know, with three, four, five, six deals a week, we're underwriting about four analysts who work for me. Um, and we're just, the deals aren't penciling. They're not, the, you're not doubling money in five years anymore or seven years. You're doubling your money in 10 years or nine years. And where I come from in Australia, it's always been, if you double your money in 10 years, you're doing really, really well. Um, and we're looking more at the equity multiple, equity multiplier on deals now, rather than looking at cash flow straight out of the gate. Yes, we're still offering prefs, but they may necessarily, they may maybe be lower because, you know, like you, John, like we're looking at better markets, top, probably you want to say top 15 markets, uh, maybe even top 10 of growth. And that's over the long-term play and that everyone has got to realize and readjust their expectations that real estate is a get rich slow. It's not get rich quick. And uh, I think so many people, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, I just have had these silly expectations on how hot the multifamily game has been in the last five to seven years that they're going to think that's going to continue to grow. And, and I know personally, I'm not seeing that anymore. And, uh, and, and, you know, as such, investors' expectations need to adjust with it because a 13% IRR or a 12% IRR is still really, really good in five years if you're not, picking, not, not lifting a finger. You know, you're, you're, it's funny, right? Multifamily now, it's, it's like the fix and flip business of 10 years ago or five years ago. It's like, you know, there hasn't been a million shows on HPTG yet for what we do, but you know, I'm sure there it's, I'm sure it's in the pipeline and you're right. Cause we joke around when I started, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't able to put as much money into the deals as I'd like. And you realize pretty quickly on our side of the coin, um, you only make money if you perform and you don't make much of it you know, with certain splits. So you got to do a little bit of that. But, you know, we've bought deals, we've sold deals, we've executed. Now I have significantly more money to put into my deals. And I joke around because I talk to investors all day long from super experience, high net worth to, you know, a, you know, a random guy that's, you know, a random girl looking to get started. And some people, you know, some people come to our meetup event and they say, hey, you know, well, you know, I want to buy D-class properties because it's 20% returns. I'm like, listen, we've been there. We've done it. We've done well. We've, you know, some of those deals didn't work 100% according to plan. But I think the market's helped a lot where, you know, some mistakes were swept under the rug and, and we believe that we've learned from them. But now I have more money in my deals. And there's something to say about a 6% return with no headache whatsoever. Um, you know, 97% occupied, no headache, no delinquency. I said, listen, I've been on both sides. Yeah, it's great to make 20, but that's when you might not come for 24 months, you know, getting 6% a year and getting a check every month. It's, it's less. So I think you're right. I mean, you know, the multifamily craze now is the fix and flip craze back in the day where everyone wanted to fix and flip houses and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, we, we timed it really well because we, we started right around the same time. And then we've, we've gotten, we had some experience of what other people had for years where they've sold deals and they've 1031 up into easier, less headache type deals. And I think that's like the natural progression, but I think if you can take some of that, you know, that rough stuff and, and parlay it up into maybe not a, you know, class A 2015 built deal. That's just never going to, you know, it's just a 10 year plan. Um, I think there's some value to still be had, uh, you know, understanding that, Hey, it's not, it's not what it once was, but we also have a longer horizon. And if we can do really well over 10 years, as you said before, you know, it's get rich, you know, get rich slow you know, not get rich quick. Cause I think get rich quick is, you know, all that is is a ticking time bomb for, you know, all your money to go away very quickly. Right. Right. Just changing gears just slightly on terms of cap rates and, and what, you know, we've seen across the board uh, in, in the markets that I've invested in the markets probably you've invested in the, um, the, the, the compression of the cap rate. Uh, 
in your mind, do you think we're going like a yo-yo, uh, or sorry, like a pendulum? We've swung so far back. You know, we're in some markets that I'm looking at where we're sub five caps on um, on on 1980s, 1990s deals. Where do you think the pendulum is going to readjust back to in the multifamily space, if it's readjusting at all? That's that's a that's a great question, right? Um, I think you know we had this. We had a our last meeting program. We did a panel with, with two other multifamily sponsors, and we had that question asked us. They said, you know, hey, like if you if you have a fully stabilized property, shouldn't it sell at a higher cap rate because there's no value? And one of the sponsors on the panel actually said, you know, a broker will get his hands on that and he'll say you can put a backsplash in, or you can just stay in the steel. And always push the envelope. Um, the million dollar question is, you know, interest rates keep going down, and they went up for a little bit. Now they're back down. So cap rates, you know, it, it should, there's a correlation, but it hasn't happened yet. Do I think the days of eight cap multifamily deals, you know, like some of those old gurus in the market say eight cap in place, tax adjusted. So I think those days are in the future. Yeah, maybe, but I don't know. I mean, and I think that, you know, that's the answer anyone would say, but do I think it's going to swing? No, we're buying deals in Jacksonville, Florida which is historically, it's not, you know, it's a, it's a great market, good population growth, but, you know, brokers are giving us BPOs on deals we own, you know, four, seven, five to five and a half caps, 1970s, 1960s, concrete block construction, you know, five, I, I just, you know, tax adjusted five cap. I'm like, this is nuts. You know, who, I live in New York. I mean, you live in LA. I, I can go buy a four cap tomorrow with no headache and I know it's going to do well in 10, 15 years. I, I can't stomach five caps in markets, you know, so, where do I think they're going? When do I think the pendulum is going to come back the other way? You know, I, I, you know, for three years now, I've been saying, you know, at some point it's going to happen. At some point it's going to happen. It hasn't. So, you know, the diplomatic answer is, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I think there could be some, some bounce back, but I don't think the days of, you know, you know, the eight cap one in place tax adjusted is now a six cap you know, because you just don't see, you don't see it. And if you can get a six cap and you can get good debt in the fours, you know, yeah, interest only, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. You can get a nice little cash on cash on that because you have a decent spread. The question is, you know, are you growing rents too fast and you're cutting expenses too quickly? It, it, like that's where you're going to get, you know, you're going to get caught with your pants down in, in 24 to 36 months. Yep. No, I completely agree. And, that, and, that, and, and I'll add something to that is that, you know, do, do, do I think in my, my view on that is, do you think, Interest rates are, I'm sorry, cap rates are going to swing back, you know, 150, 200 basis points. I don't, I don't think so. I think they may swing back 50 to, at a, at an upper end, 100. Um, but I think in general, we're 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 in a new era where we're in the compressed cap rate. Like, and and I'm not hunting in the same markets as you're hunting. I'm talking more like the Austins of the world, um, the Dallas Fort Worths. Um, where that growth is still there, but they're transitioning into like particularly Austin, for example. It's I've had many conversations just because I'm invested in there. How that market has transitioned from a interior slow and steady wins the race, you know, very um, moderate cap rates to really a coastal city where cap rates are going to be in the four, three to four percent because the growth is just crazy. Um, and and you know, you look, you compare that to say Sydney or Brisbane or Singapore or London or even New York where the compressed cap rates have been the norm for decades and markets like Austin's now I don't know necessarily about Jacksonville or the North Carolinas or the uh, Indianapolis's of the world that they may get there over time um, 
but I know Austin's a great prime. I, I use that example all the time. But it's like just the growth that's happening. It's in, you know, there's direct flights in and out of London two or three times a week. Like it's, it's truly a world city now. And so it's not hard to say or predict or, you know, bet on that this will, that market will be in the fours or sub four caps for decades to come because of their growth. And, and you know, and I'm talking, you know, class A downtown yeah. product type of stuff. Yeah, but that stuff, that, that's the stuff that, that, that makes those markets, they become those, as you know, those, those, those staples. Because, you know, I tell people all the time, people ask me all the time, you know, where would you, you know, how do you pick your markets? I'm like, you know, listen, there's a million ways, right? You go by, there's 100,000 books on the line. There's thousands of resources online. I said, in the end, if you don't want to go there, you don't want to travel there, and the ease of travel is not an option, don't, you know, don't just buy a deal in the middle of nowhere because it's a great return. So, so it's easier to get to Austin now. It's easier to get to these markets. And there's a reason for that. And that, I don't think recession, depression, you know, complete cap rate swing. I can't say foresee that happening you know, in a market like Austin's a great example because you're right. It was not. It's a great market. One of the best in the country. It's been one of the best in the country for a while. But though that class A stuff, it is what it is now. The ease of travel to get there is significantly easier from anywhere. And that just opens the doors up to continual lower cap rates because coming from New York, I can go buy a two cap or I can buy a four cap in Austin. What's the difference, right? I can get there on a flight. It's direct. I don't have to connect. I don't have to bang my head against around. And if that's me from New York and I'm in the same country, imagine the ease if you open that up to other markets and countries. I mean, just way more people can get there. Um, I was down in Austin. It's a, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. There's so much to do, you know, and this is coming from one that doesn't buy there, doesn't own anything there. Um, there's no incentive for, you know, it's, it's a great market. People ask about it all the time, but I think those are death. Those are reasons why Capri's ain't going anywhere. I don't think they're going, you know, I don't think they're swinging two basis point, you know, two, you know, 200, you know, two basis point, you know, uh, 200 points up. I think you're right. 50, hundred, maybe, but, but that's the exact reason why it just, the ease of the ease and the accessibility makes it significantly more attractive to a lot more people. And the more people that look there, obviously inevitably cap rates will, you know, go down. And, and so this, you know, now when you have those conversations with investors talking about, uh, you know, in my mind, uh, a 17, the, the new seven, 15 to 17% IRRs are now, and I'm talking, you know, an Austin, Dallas, you know, these more established multifamily markets. Um, it's the, the new, the new 15 to 17 is really, uh, you know, a 12 to 13. And, and how do you get your investor, particularly the retail investor to adjust accordingly? And so, so what, what, what techniques are you doing? What communications are you having with your investors to readjust that expectation that, hey, this is still a really good deal because of the lower risk because, and with lower risk, there's lower risk. So a couple, a couple things. Um, I think one thing we're doing is we relaunched our whole outreach branding platform. And you probably got some of the emails, monthly newsletter, you know, where we, we slacked out a little bit, but we're getting that out there to, to, to explain, hey, these are articles, read them yourself. You don't believe me? Look what the press is saying. Look what the people are saying. You know, talk to other sponsors. I have no problem with an investor saying, hey, you know, and I say, hey, talk to my buddy, talk to my buddy Reed. Talk to my buddy Paul, right? Talk to these guys. Let them, don't you, you don't believe me, you think I'm trying to, you know, make more money or whatever it is. Talk to everyone else in the market. And then you'll see that I think that we're very fair with our, on our deals. And I think we're all speaking the same language. Um, another thing that we're doing, uh, testimonials from investors, basically, hey, you know, in our monthly newsletter, in our articles, when we sit down, 
you know, before someone says, can I talk to an investor? Say, hey, here are three guys. You should call them before we continue a conversation. Speak to people that we work with to say, yes, you know, we're maybe not going to show the best deal on paper. I'm not going to show you a 35 and give you a 12. I might show you a 12 or 15 and hopefully the outcome perform. But, you know, these are guys that you should probably reach out to before we have a sit down because I'd rather you speak to people before then you come in and then speak to them after because after I could prepare them before I don't know what you're going to ask, right? Hey, these are guys you want to talk to. And I think the third one is proofs in the pudding. We invest in all our own deals, 20, 30%, if not Northwoods of 40%. And that's myself, my partner and our family, immediate family, fathers, mothers, brothers, not, you know, extended family. And, you know, you, you put some money in my deal and I say, Oh yeah, you're part of the 30%. We've always co-invested a significant amount. And I think that's the easy way to do it where we say, Hey guys, we're into this for 30, you know, we're putting 30% of our own money into it. You know, it, it, we're, we're comfortable with this return too. You know, I'm not trying to take all your money and go buy a deal and give you a 12. And, I, and meanwhile, the deal is going to perform at a 30. We're going to, you know, I'm going to make a ton of money. We're putting our own money where our mouth is. So I think that's helping a lot. And then, you know, I would say the fourth strategy, which is sort of like a spinoff of strategy three is we're buying deals all cash. And then refining out. And when we refi out, then we're syndicating the deal or then we're raising money. So it's very easy to sit with investors and say, hey, we bought this for $7 million. We're going to get a loan for four. We're going to leave three. And do you want to be part of that three? And if you invest, great. If not, we're 100% comfortable with owning it ourselves. That's something that everybody can't do. But I think that's helping us out a lot when it comes to lowering expectations because people say, okay, listen, they're, they're okay with a 14. It's their own money. So if you come in, you come in. If you don't, you don't. Maybe the next opportunity is better for you. And that's what we tell people all the time. If it's not this one, guys, you can come into the next one. You know, we could accommodate you on the next one if you're, you're worried about returns and this one doesn't check off all your boxes. But that's something that we can do. We have the luxury. of We have, we have four or five investors that are 100% comfortable with that strategy, and they help us. And that's how we've tweaked the markets and the deals we're going after is because we know we have a cash bucket available to do so. And that's something that I think we're unique, or I'd like to think we're unique, but it's helped us out. That's that's a very interesting uh, point you make. So you have a bucket of money that you can go buy all cash. You don't need to get any debt on it straight away. How soon after, oh, you, you're going to be a cut above the rest, you know, um, straight off the, out of the, the gate. So my first question is, uh, are you then, are you have you got your money, because you're not paying debt on that, uh, sorry, not paying interest on that debt, uh, on any debt, are you are you wanting to pay a little bit more? Are you getting more aggressive, or are you just sort of sticking with you know this is what it works for us, but we're going to pay all cash and we get to close in you know, fifteen days? So so we've gone. We're not getting aggressive because you know we don't want to challenge ourselves on the exit. We run the process simultaneously, and how we you know, two deals we just bought in Jacksonville. We bought at uh, there's appraisals out there that are literally ten thousand dollars a door more than what we paid for them. We paid fifty four a door, which you know, good luck trying to find that in, in you know, very solid C plus B, B plus stuff. We did that there. It was, you know, two properties, 13 million bucks, closed cash, refi out. We ran the debt process literally simultaneously, but we guaranteed a 45 day closing with hard money up front. So we said, because of that, we still want a discount. And how quickly do you want to send that? We knew that seller had some tax consequences. Uh, he was uh, out of, out of, he wasn't from this country, from Argentina. They had a tax consequence. So they had to close quickly. So they were willing to sacrifice some to get the deal closed. Uh, but we're not budging and getting aggressive on pricing. We're, you know, we're, we're offering a deal now in Jacksonville with a million dollars hard for that exact reason. 
I don't think we're going to win it because we're 10%. We're going to be 10% off with the bulk of the offers are going to come in at, but we're going to, you know, million dollars are closing 45 days. We'll see. And that's the strategy that we've you know, put in to still see if there's a last, you know, maybe there's one more, you know, we're shaking trees. Maybe there's one more leaf to fall off that hasn't been touched. But once we put that offer in, we have our org chart set. We have everything set because it's all cash. So, Hey, here are the investors. And we tell the bank, as long as 50% of the interest doesn't change post-closing, you know, you could syndicate it. And we say, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is the structure. Here's the people. Let's run the date that simultaneously. So maybe we close cash and then 35, 45 days later, the loan comes in play and it and now we're keeping in so much of the money ourselves and some of our investors that we bump. We always, always, we're always over that 50% mark and the agency side. And, and it's allowed us to be very flexible and it's helped us out dramatically, but we're still not budging on pricing and getting aggressive to win deals on the high side. We're trying to go maybe a little bit more hard, maybe a little bit more aggressive on timing. And listen, we're doing the same thing. We're underwriting six, seven deals a week, five, six deals, and we're offering on one, one a month, two a month. We're not even making, we're not making nearly as many offers as we used to. But with that being said, I think the deals we're buying are even better today than they were five years ago. Does that mean they return the same amount? No. But I think that for the long term, the cash flow, the deal is a better deal. Right, and I think that's you hit the nail on the head there. Where it talk, you're talking about just understanding out of the gate, you you you've got to expect a lower return with these longer term plays. Um, and I really love what you're doing in terms of buying all cash. I would assume that is what has directed you down the road of only looking more at that inefficient type of eighty to one hundred and fifty size units. Um, you know, in better markets because your bucket of cash is only so large, I could imagine, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. No, 100%. I mean, we'd love – there's a deal down in uh, outside of Charlotte that we love. 2005 built, 250-plus units. And a buddy of mine was like, you think we can do – you think you're going to do what you normally do? I said, I don't have $28 million lying around. I wish I did. And that that's the side that we're going to – we're trying to raise more equity from our guys – Hey, give me five of your friends. I can each put a million, two million dollars in, and maybe, maybe quasi go to a fund where you can put fifty million dollars in a fund. With this, we're going to buy a cash refi out, buy a cash refi out, buy a cash refi out until all the money spent. But, but that's why we switch focus to the eighty to two hundred unit space or eighty to one fifty because our plan is twelve hundred to twenty five hundred units in a bigger market, so we can set up our own management and we can we have more control over it. But that's been, that's why we, we went down saying, hey, we have the money to go buy these. Let's go buy these in better areas where maybe the average rent is a touch higher or there's a clear sign of problem that we know we can fix. Even on an inefficient property with third-party management, we know that maybe our expenses are going to be a little bit higher than the next guy, but we're going to try and compensate that on the purchase price and take a deal that a professional or a first-time buyer is not going to get closed or it's going to take them forever or they have to raise money. Hey, we're not going to go anywhere. Here's the money. Here's the cash. Here's the bank. We're ready to go. Let's make this happen. That's what we've tried. Now, I don't want to say it's been the most successful plan because we bought two deals this year doing that, but that, those are the offers we're putting in. And, and we're 100% comfortable with putting those offers in and sitting tight. Right, right. No, and it's interesting that you've niched to what you've done some probably some deals with, and I know you personally, that you've done some deals with a bit more hair on the, on the bone and, and people would have around the opposite directions. <laughs> so I assume, are you, are you guys giving a pref on your, to your investors on these deals? Yes. So we're, 
you know, I, I like to say that our pref is 8%. Uh, we've done that on every single deal. Um, 8% pref splits over that. Uh, I've been trying to sell the 6% Accruing, pref. Right? Yes. Yeah, so it's not, it's, not, it's not 8% current out of the gate. And I think that's what investors have been used to in other markets and other, you know, in years previous. But that's where I'm, we're also getting a little bit, it's like, oh, we'll give you a 7 or 8% pref, but it's it's accruing over the five years. You'd maybe be Correct. 1 or 2% out of the yes, gate, yes. if that. Correct. 100% now, now where I'm banging my head with investors and I'm trying to educate. If you guys want to press out of the box, I'll do four. Right. And, and I'm just getting, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in the ring with Mike Tyson getting bl- bl- blasted. Right. So like, that's, I'm like, well, I can't give you 8% out of the box. We're buying the deal at a five and a half cap. How am I going to get you 8%? Like, I'm not going to raise extra money because that, that's just literally throwing money in the garbage, but yeah, we're doing 8% accruing. Uh, so you get two and I owe you 10 next year. If I hit it, great. If not, then it just goes to the back end. But yeah, we're doing eight on everything. I've been trying to explain to investors that, you know, Let's drop the press, give you guys more of the upside, but they still want the eights and we're sticking to our back end structure. But that's fine for me because, you know, the better we do, the more money we make. I would like to see lower prefs and more maybe equal splits, but they're, you know, they're, they're still, we're not there yet. So we're still giving the eights and, you know, underwriting for five years, you know, telling people that. This may go seven. You know, realistically, we don't know, but you know, we're going to do everything in our power to execute as quickly as possible. But also, have the expectation of you're not going. To, it's not going to be current out of the gate. I think that's the big thing. And and I I would love to get into a space. And I know one of the goals for 2019 was to do a deal without a pref. I don't know if we're going to. You know, we haven't done a deal yet this year because deals aren't penciling. Um, but we've got you know a 1031 exchange buyers coming around the corner who's breathing down our neck. But yeah, I, in an ideal world, you know, if, if you know you, you change it from sort of seventy thirty to eighty twenty and no pref, and you know we get to eat when investors eat, like that's it's very much aligned. And I think it comes down to, you know, you've done you know over three and a half thousand units, and even at that point, you know, you've got a lot of experience, you've got a lot of runs on the board, but you're still getting pushback. And it's uh, it's interesting that it's funny how the the mindset you've set up with investors and with their expectations. And then now that you, when you're trying to steer it away from it in in a different cycle or different market, they're just like, get the hell, go pound sand. We want that eight, you know? (laughs) So. No, exactly. And the only way we did a deal the end of last year is in an opportunity zone. And that's the only way we were able to get out of pref. And I, I had a conversation with all the investors in the deal, small, you know, 121 unit. We bought it for a million bucks. It was a thousand dollars. You know, it was, it was nothing. It was, we're all in for less than 10 a door. Uh, on purchase, and then we're spending about $4 million in capital. I said, guys, you're very flat out. It's an opportunity zone. There's no incentive whatsoever for a sponsor to do an opportunity zone deal. I'm not going to make any money until I sell it. That's 10 years down the road. I said, so you want to invest in this deal? We got to do an 80-20 out of the box because wh- why in God's name would I buy a deal with an 8% pref that I got to hold for 10 years? I, all I'm doing is shooting myself in the foot. I had this conversation with 50 investors. We have 12 investors in the deal. You know, 40 of them said, no, we want the pref. I said, okay, not for you. Goodbye. Now me being very adamant and firm with the investor, basically saying, Hey, this is the structure. You take it or leave it. Now, if I didn't raise the money, I would have called them all back and probably given them what they wanted. But (laughs) luckily, you know, luckily I didn't have to, because I had guys that they're like, wow, you're right. If you don't have an incentive to operate this thing and you're not going to make any money. I said, Hey, listen, it's a $4 million deal. Look at it. This is how much money I'm making. I'm, you know, I love you guys. 
It's a great deal. It's in Columbus. It's market we love. We that was the first property we ever bought. I said, I'm gonna make twelve thousand dollars a year, and but and I gotta manage this thing. You know, it's gonna cost me three thousand dollars a year in travel, which you know it's gonna go to the deal. But you know, what what you know, you really want me working for twelve grand on your million dollar investment? Does that make sense, especially on the on an opportunity zone? So that was the only way we were able to not get a press was on that deal because it's got a 10 year horizon on it. So the longer term horizon, I was able to sell it. I also needed to raise two and a half million bucks, not 20 or 17. So it was a little bit easier because I knew that I could get this done and we, we put in our, a ton of our own money. So that was the only way we were able to get it through because I sold them that it's a long-term deal. I have to be incentivized to work because if, if not a year down the road, two years down the road, if I have a better opportunity, that's the thing that I don't think investors realize from sponsors is that if I know this one's going a little sideways. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to make it happen because I have our, we have our money in it. But if I really get an opportunity here to the right, I can't guarantee and promise if that, you know, I'm not going to work a little bit harder on that one. Now we're investing in all our deals. So it makes it easier, but I, I needed some incentive there. And that was the only way we were able to get it um, because of the long-term horizon. I think the long-term horizon helped us. Um, and now all those investors in the deals call me every day. Is there any more room left in that deal? Because this opportunity zone stuff is great. And I'm like, no, you missed. But we have this deal instead. So it <laughs> helped. Well, I think it's all sounding like you're, we're both, uh, you include, you know, we're both and everyone else who's included, um, Paul Mall, who I had on the part one, are trying to steer that conversation in and around to what is a really good return, um, readjusting investors' expectations because we're not in those uh, lofty double doubling your money in five years anymore particularly uh, unless you want to go into a real tertiary market with high risk and given that the fact that the recession could any recession could happen any day um, it, it means that there's a lot more opportunity for it to go uh, sideways so looking at you know better markets and uh, and growing out a, a good stable portfolio within a stronger market you know you talk about over a thousand units helps you build scale uh, to help you reduce uh, your cost across the deal, which helps obviously help the investors' returns. So, and one then, last thing, that, yeah. and that you know, one thing that you know, we're offering on a deal here shortly in Jacksonville, we own about a thousand units there. That deal just had all new appliances put in, all new black appliances. The market probably warrants stainless steel. We're doing you know, 400 units of renovation in Jacksonville, we're going to put black appliances in, having a lot of properties in one area allows us now we can be a little bit more aggressive because we can take new appliances out of that property and they're all within the last year move them to our other properties buy stainless steel and basically get stainless steel for the price of black mm -hmm. get the return and that's a way that we're able to maybe use our economies of scale in the market we'll get a little bit more aggressive on that property because the cost of black appliances, it doesn't change. We're going to buy them on the other site. Now we just got to go buy stainless steel. You, you, you sell it to yourself, but you, you get a bank for your buck because, you know, you can't, if it's your first deal in the market, you can't do that, right? You, you, unless you go sell your, your appliances, which you're not going to do. Well, you also, I'm also seeing the, in the, the appliance space where, you know, stainless steel costs you maybe $200 more uh, for a whole package mm -hmm. if you Washer, you know, not, not washers and dryers, but dishwasher, so dishwasher, uh, stove, uh, microwave range, uh, fridge. Uh, if you can, you know, that's across a, a package. It's really only two two hundred fifty bucks, which 
you know, over a five-year hold, that's going to, rep- you know, return a massive amount. And I've also seen people do just the fridge, you know, the fridge and maybe the microwave, but the stove and the dishwasher are still black. And it just gives you that that look of like, oh, no, we have stainless steel appliances, just only two out of the four are stainless steel. So it's, it's somewhere in between, which is, I think is kind of, Kind of cheeky, but uh, but but also smart. So from an investment point of view, mate. Um, so I do want to be respectful of your time. I know we've been talking for a little while, but uh, what is the one word or a sentence that you can uh, summarize for me? You know, the the biggest thing that you're telling investors these days to readjust their expectations. Peace of mind. Peace. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. I said, guys, listen. Investing with us, you already get peace of mind, right? You're not dealing with like when when the guy shoots up the property or drives the golf cart to the wall, you don't have to deal with that. I said, but, but you know, now my perspective has changed. I had a daughter, a lot of my investors are kids, right? That's just inevitable progress of life. So the most part, I would say peace of mind. I said, guys, here, we can go buy this deal. And you know, you're going to get those emails like, huh, we had this happen. We had this happen, but, or we can go this route, lower return, better market, you know, more long-term upside, more slow and steady wins the race, the tortoise and the hare. But I would say peace of mind by far is something that I've heard myself say way more than I ever had before. Um, that, that by far, that would be the, the, the phrase all day long. Awesome, man. Well, mate, uh, I like to end the show with asking you to give me your top five investing tips. Ready to get into the lightning round? Let's do it. Cool, man. What is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Write down everything at the end of the day and make sure I review them before I go to bed so I wake up and attack what I have. Hands awesome. down, that's, that's, the, that's the number one thing. Awesome. Mate, who's the most influential person in your career to date? Oof, I would say that's a tough one. I, I would normally say my grandfather. He passed away a couple of years ago, but I would say my daughter, my daughter and my wife because I want to hands down my daughter and my wife because now I know what it's like on this side of the coin and I want to be able to provide to them how I was always provided for. So just using them as a tool, uh, maybe a little different answer than most, but I would say my wife and my daughter. That's awesome. And it, will, it leads me to my next question. Uh, what is the most influential tool in your real estate business, whether it be software, hardware, or even a person? Good <laughs> <laughs> question. You know, I look, we're not recording video because I don't know how to use the technology. <laughs> I would say the number one tool that we use, um, I would say my, you know, this is maybe self-promoting, but you know, my, my ability to adapt quickly to problems and having the, the people in my database to fix situations. If I have a problem, I can pick up the call and say, Hey, you know, have you had this situation before? So I would say my ability to adapt on the fly, just, you know, just personal, personal. Awesome. Awesome. What in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? what did you learn from that failure? Ooh, uh, double check everything. Just, you know, don't, don't take anyone's word for anything. Just, you know, when you think you have it right, do it one more time, sleep on it and do it again. Double check everything you do uh, and just put another set of eyes on it. Yep. Mate, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to find out a little bit more about what you're doing. Um, where do they go? Then go to our website, uh, Toro, T-O-R-O-R-E-P.com. Uh, you can go there. You can email me personally, read as my email address. You can, you know, throw it on your show notes. Uh, I'm, I'm a guy, I'll give my cell phone, I don't mind. Uh, it's all on the website. My cell phone's 516-523-6205. I don't, I will take anyone's call. Shoot me a text. I am 100% open. Uh, I might not get back to you the same day, but if you shoot me a text or send me an email, 
I have no problem with giving anyone 30, 45 minutes uh, with advance notice to, to hear out anybody, answer any questions, anything I can do to help. Awesome, man. Well, look, I want to thank you for jumping on the show today. Just a quick summary of, you know, chatting about what you're doing. I think it's really interesting that you change your uh, acquisition approach. Uh, buying all cash helps you to then uh, lower leverage the deal or put no leverage on it. And then you don't have, you can close quicker. You can close all cash. You have, you're more in, uh, enticing to uh, a seller and then that you go on the back end and syndicate uh, with your investors. I think we're also, the second thing I'll, I took away from your, your conversation is, well, our conversation is the, the, just the adjusting and trying to move the ship away from preferred returns. I think it's very hard to do, uh, ripping investors off that, but we are in that, that we are, we are in that market right now and people have got to readjust their expectations. And I think you're doing a really great job of, uh, of doing that. So mate, I wish you luck, but did I leave anything out? No, I think you nailed it. Um, that was an easy summary. Uh, if you listen to the last fifteen seconds, you get you know you don't have to. We don't have to bore you with the details. <laughs> well, mate, look, thanks again for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up soon. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Mr. John Cohen. He is a valuable dude. Please jump over to his website and get all the information. Reach out to him. He's uh, he's a very generous with his time. Uh, all the show notes will be up on my show on, on my website, I should say, at readbusiness.com. Uh, and thank you again for taking some time out of your day to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge because that's what we're all about on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and go give life a cracker.